Good to have you here. As you can tell from our uh, outline today, we're going to talk about a new year and a new start. If you have your outline, take it out, put it in front of you there. Um, you know, New Year's time is usually a time when people kind of think differently, think about how they want to do things differently in the upcoming year. Um, some people call them New Year's resolutions or pledges to do things a little differently. Pastor Mike did a great job last week talking about um, the fact that many people uh, try and get physically fit uh, at this New Year's time. We uh, want to kind of bring that into getting spiritually fit, as he talked about last week. And, and we know many people do. They kind of make new decisions. Okay, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get involved. I can't think of a better thing to do than be coming here on Sunday mornings and get connected to one of those community groups that we have going on. So if this is your first Sunday here, you are in the right place. Um, I know many people talk about uh, education, doing that differently, maybe a job or a job change that they hope to make. Another one that is often uh, a resolution is made for is in the area of finances. Uh, Many times it's to get out of debt or it's to save more money and such. And so um, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And this goes way beyond just finances here. Uh, In fact, if you're um, a regular attender here at First Baptist, you know that for years and years, Pastor Jim has talked about finances in the month of January, and I thought that was a great idea, a great way to get us started. It, it, as I said, translates so much bigger than just the area of money or tithing or, or, or such. It goes into every area of our lives with the era, uh, idea of generosity and stewardship and who owns it. And so if you're here for the first time, if this is kind of your time to come in and try this religion thing out, um, not all messages are quite this serious. In fact, some of you may even be thinking, you know, this is getting a little bit personal here to be talking about finances, but you know, we're, we're open to a lot of things and talking about a lot of things here. Generally, I look at it and say, we don't have a problem talking about money and finances outside of the church walls. Why should we have a problem talking about money and finances inside the church walls? I mean, it, it, is, it is a part of everything we do in life. I mean, where you're living right now, you have to pay a mortgage, you have to pay rent, or at least you have paid that off. If you already paid it off, finances was a part of that. If you get from point A to point B, you usually have to have a car. Finances is a part of that. Or maybe you have to have gas to put into that car. If you're a student, you're going to schooling, you make decisions off that. If you want to go to movies or entertainment or even food, uh, all that ties into finances and how we treat our finances. I would guesstimate uh, 95 to 99% of you right now have some sort of finances on you, whether it be dollar bills, uh, whether it be your checkbook, whether it be coins, whatever it is. We, we just have it in our purses, our wallets, our pocketbooks. Um, we have to think about it and deal with money on a daily basis. Afterwards, when you leave here, if you're going out to lunch, you've got to think, what's on the menu? How much does it cost? Do I have money to pay for that? I mean, so many everyday decisions tie in with finances. Finances and money can make people happy. Finances and money can make people stressed and overwhelmed. Uh, money is a major source of, of friction in marriages. Oftentimes, it's given the number one reason for why a marriage dissolves or is divorced because of finances and arguing about that and dealing with it differently. People base their careers and major decisions upon finances. People uh, have married for money. People have murdered for money. 
not necessarily in that order uh, to one another, but, but it's true. It has happened. It has happened. Uh, you think about Jesus Christ. You think about our very Savior. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends for what? Money. Absolutely. 30 pieces of silver. Money played a part in how all that went down. Money is interwoven throughout all of our lives. So I can't think of a better place than to talk about finances than in church because... Because the Bible has a lot to say about money and finances. In fact, you think about it, how much input we take from our culture, whether it be on the internet, whether it be billboards, whether it be radio, whether it be television, whatever it is, whether it be other friends who are influenced by culture as well, so much comes into us and yet For me to not address that and say, okay, how is that different than what the Bible says? Well, I'm being a disservice. I'm doing a disservice to you as your pastor. And so, you know, some people are saying, oh, money, finances, do we have to talk about that? Yes, to start off a new year. I can't think of a better topic because it relates so much to everything we do. The Bible is not silent at all on the subject. In fact, if you have your outline, take that out and you can fill in a few of these um, uh, fill-ins that I have for you on where it says the Bible and money. Look at what the Bible says about finances. Out of, and this is the first one there, out of the 38 recorded parables that Jesus spoke, get this, 16 of them had to do with money. 16 of them. There are more verses about money in the New Testament than all the verses which speak of heaven and hell, understand this, combined, combined. More said about money and finances. There are five times more verses in the Bible which speak about money than even about prayer. Five times more speak about money, possessions, than prayer. While there are over 500 verses in the Bible which speak of both prayer and faith, there are over 2,000 verses that deal with money and your possessions. Getting the clue here? This is very, very important to what God thinks of us and wants us to deal with. Last one I wrote down there was, there are over 1,000 verses, specific verses, dealing directly with money, second only to the subject of, you know what it would be? Subject of love. Subject of love. That's the only one that takes more specific verses than the 1,000 verses, over 1,000 verses, dealing specifically with money. I mean, you look at all that and you say, okay, God is trying to say something here. There are clear teachings, clear guidelines for us to know and to live out in our lives. Clearly, we need to draw some conclusions, have some guidelines and principles that we need to know in our lives if we're going to go forward and be successful here in the upcoming year. And so uh, let me just start by doing this. Our culture, as I said, gives us one message. God gives us a totally separate one. In fact, what the culture teaches... And what the Bible teaches many times are exact opposites. You may be so ingrained in the culture that you don't see that. So let me just, uh, let me just compare and contrast this just real briefly here. The culture. It says our worth, our worth is determined by what we uh, accumulate in money, material goods, and what we own. That's what the culture teaches you. Subliminally or obviously. It, it, it comes at you in that way, that your worth is determined on those things, money, premier possessions, and the goods that you had. You know what God says? 
In Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his what? Of his possessions. I mean, is that not just in stark contrast? You watch any television commercial today. You go and, and, and look at most billboards today. They're trying to get something in front of you that you're going to feel better about or you need their product to feel better and have good worth. And yet the Bible says, don't fall into that trap. Life is so much more than about your possessions. The second box I put under there, I said, money is the key to successful and happy life. That's what the culture says, that money is the key to a successful and happy life. You know what Hebrews says? It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, when was the last time a $20 bill said, I will never leave you nor <laughs> forsake you? All right? Didn't happen, huh? I mean, that stuff flies out of our pockets. When is the last time your laptop or your computer said, I will never leave you or forsake you or crash on you, right? God's never said that. I mean, when's the last time your, your, your cell phone or your car or your car keys, you know, we lose those. No, God has said, I will always be there for you. I am the key to your happiness and success in life. Not money, not finances, not your possessions. Next box they put under there is we, culture says, we earn our money and can do what we please with our hard-earned dollars. We've earned it. We should get to do what we want to do with it. You know what scripture says about that? It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. NIV talks about the earth is the Lord's and everything in it is his. Everything in it is his. J.D. Rockefeller multi-millionaire in fact would have been a billionaire in today's money maybe even was at the time that he lived very generous his finances and such but he kind of got caught up in this at one point in his life and someone asked him how much money is enough money you know what his answer was just a little bit more just a little bit more that's what we fall into. That's what we fall prey to. And that's what the culture kind of puts upon us. Yeah, more, more, more. Get, get, get. And yet, Scripture says, nah, uh uh. It's not even ours. It's God's. It's His to begin with. It's His to end with. And we just get to use it in between. Let me give you the last one down there. Money has nothing to do with a person's spiritual growth and worship. That's what culture would tell you. Money has, has nothing to do. How you treat your money doesn't matter. And yet, I would say it has everything everything to do with your spiritual uh, growth and your spiritual uh, discernment and wisdom and your worship of God. Look at what it says in uh, Matthew six nineteen through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in where? In heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is so key to know. Where your money is, where your finances, where, what you treasure, that's what your heart begins to follow. That's what your heart chases after. And so here's, here's a major point to understand with this. We will either view money as the culture does, that is, it's ours, 
or we'll view money as God does, that is, it's his. But there's no middle ground in this. You can't have it both ways. You either view it as, it's all yours, as the culture says, or you view it, God, it's yours. But you can't say, well, you know, 50% is mine, and the other 50% maybe to God, or 90% is mine. No, it is all or nothing. You cannot be in the middle ground here. So the question really to ask is, how have you been influenced? How have you been thinking about money and finances? Uh, last year, about this time, uh, if you were here, um, you'll know that uh, we combined, because we were putting in a new sound system here in the sanctuary, we combined over in the gymnasium, and I spoke a little bit on this subject in one of those uh, Sundays, and I showed a video. And uh, not all of you were there, and so I wanted to show this video again, uh, so some of you will remember this, but I think it vividly displays kind of how we many times treat our finances and whose they are. So uh, let's go ahead and roll that. There's a lot to be said in that, isn't there? Turn your uh, outline over. Let me give you three things to remember about money. Number one, what we just watched there. God owns it all. Dude, he brought the pie, was was the message there, wasn't it? He's the one who brought it. See, the reason I believe Jesus spoke often about money and um, the Bible speaks about money so often is that God realizes we like to be in charge, don't we? We like to be the ones in control. We like to be large and in charge. Because honestly, if you look into the mirror, you will probably be looking back at a control freak. Most of us are like that. We, we are control freaks. We like to have things in order, forcefully or subtly. We like to be in charge. We like to have things go our way. And we think if we hold the money, then we hold the control. We, we, we hold our future. There's a, a campaign for Charles Schwab. Own your tomorrow. You need to own your tomorrow. You need to have things in order. Now, I don't think it's bad to have things in order, but... <clears throat> God has said, you know what, bring it and give it to me first. You look at that video and you say, if they would have given it to first to him, I think God would have allowed the pie to stretch out to all the other things. Uh, it's not a bad thing to want all those other kinds of things. Those can be fun. But where do you begin? Because so, too often we give to all the other things first, and then at the end, there's nothing there from God, for God. And so Psalm 24, verse 1, I read this just a bit ago. says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It's all his. He owns the cattle on the hillsides. He, he uh, owns the gold and the silver on the hillsides. It is all his to begin with. And so the first thing that we really need to settle in this money issue and really in this life issue is who's in control. Who owns it? Because if we believe what the Bible says, then it changes everything. I mean, it changes every decision you make. If you take it to heart what the Bible says and what Jesus taught, then it alters how you live. You realize every possession you have is not yours. God owns it all. God owns your car. God owns your home. God owns your savings account. God owns your your CD collection, your DVD collection. He owns your iPhone. He owns your clothes. He owns your big screen television. He owns everything. He owns your kids. He owns your grandkids. It is all from him. 
And it has only been given to you by grace. God's grace and his provision, it's only because of that that we even have any possessions, that we even have any belongings at all in our lives. I mean, I mean, your very life, this is why it goes way beyond just finances. Your very life is a gift from God. The older I get, the more I realize that. Yeah, amen, huh? I was uh, down with my folks. Our family went down to my family in Visalia, uh, visiting them over the holidays. And, um, you know, we had taken many trips as kids with uh, my father's brothers. So it would be my uncles and, and their wives and their families. And uh, one of my dad's brothers, his second oldest, um, was very ill. In fact, he was in the hospital for a number of days. They didn't know if he was going to make it there for a while. Um, we went to visit him, and so my dad was there, and my two brothers were there. We went all in, talked with him, prayed with the uncle, and he had gotten some good results the last few days that we were down there, and so that was very positive. But as we stood around the bed and prayed over him, I just got to thinking, you know, here's someone for all of our lives, just enjoying so much time with him and spending time at the coast and camping with them and doing uh, family activities. Activities and, and, and just like that, the Lord can take you home. Just like that, it, it changes. It's different. Everything we have is a gift from God. We need to look at that as saying, God, I, I, this day when I wake up the next day is a gift from you. I was talking to one of our local businessmen here a number of months ago, and his back had gone out, and he works and, and owns his company, and he has to do physical labor as well. And um, boy, he, you know, it became so real to him when he could not work that that your health is a gift from God. It allows you to make the finances that you do. Until we don't have it, we take it for granted. And so here's the question. I have questions and an action step at the bottom of each of your um, uh, points that I'm giving to you. Let me pose this question to you, and I really want you to take these seriously and think about them this week. Here's the question. Do we view our money and possessions as ours or as belonging to God? Think about that. How do you view your money and your possessions? And then here's the action step. Search the scriptures, and you can start right there in Job and Deuteronomy and 1 Corinthians 10. Search the scriptures. And remind yourself as you look at your car or pull money out of your wallet, this belongs to God. As you go out to your, park, uh, to your cars after the service today, you take those keys and you put them in and that car starts up, thank you, Jesus. As you drive away, thank you, Jesus. As you go to pay for a meal or some supplies for your home or go to the store, thank you, Jesus. Everything you have is a gift from him. Do you view it that way? Do you view it as, okay, God, this belongs to, to you and you're allowing me to use it for your honor and for your glory? Now, once you have settled that first issue, if you have come and said, okay, I get that and that is how I live or that is how now I want to live, that does a whole lot for the next few points because the next point here is this. Remember, we are stewards of our money and our finances. We are stewards of it. The money that you have, you are simply a steward. You know what a steward is? Webster defines a steward as one who manages another's property. So while you are here on earth, while I'm here on earth, we are merely stewards of God's property. And he can choose to bless you with a lot. He can choose to bless you with a little. But in no case ever, ever are we owners of it all. It is just entrusted to us for a short amount of time. For some of you, it may be into your 20s. 
Some of you may be into your 40s. Some of you may be into your 80s. However long you live, that's when it's entrusted to you. And then you give account of it when you meet the Lord. In fact, great passage that reminds us of this. Matthew 25. You have your Bibles open. Matthew 25. I'm going to go through this very quickly. It's a passage that many of us, I think, are very familiar with. But in Scripture, there was a parable that Jesus spoke. Matthew 25, verse 14 says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants to him and trusted to them his property. That's where it begins. This story is about our lives. It's entrusted. It's not given to us. We don't have title. We don't have ownership of it, but it's entrusted to us. And the story goes on where it says he gave to one five talents, he gave to one two talents, he gave to one one talent. The one with five talents took his talents and he used them and he got five more Look what the Lord, uh, the, the master came back and said, well done, good and faithful servant. This is in verse 21. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Same thing happens with the person who got two. So really it doesn't matter whether you have five or whether you have two. It doesn't matter if you have one talent. It just so happens in the story, the person with one talent hoarded it. He took it in. And he said, I'm fearful of my master. I'm not sure he wants me to lose this, and so I'm not even going to risk it. I'm just going to bury it. When he comes back, I'm going to give it back to him. The master comes back and says, oh, my goodness, you have totally, totally missed the point. It says, take the talent from him. Give it to the others that have ten talents. And then in verse 29, it says, for to everyone who has will more be given, and to he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, let me just remind you, this is not the point of the story here, but I'm just going to remind you, here in America, we are all five-talent people. You might think, well, I don't have a lot here in America. You have more than in most of the other parts of the world with what you have. People on welfare have more than most of the other parts of the world. And so don't get caught up on, do I have five, do I have two, do I have one? You have five. That's the way our society has been set up. We are blessed in this land to be able to earn finances, to be earn money, to have a nice roof over our heads, to be able to have a car and, and education and those types of things. You have five. We need to give account of that when we get back up to the Lord. Whatever you've been given, use it to the greatest of your ability for glorifying God. Now, what the word steward or being a steward translates into is that now every spending decision you have and you make is a spiritual decision. Please hear me on this. Every spending decision you make is a spiritual decision. Now, that's just talking about finances. Any choice you make even with your life is really a spiritual decision. That's how it translates into everything in our lives. But specifically, every spending decision you make is a spiritual decision. It's no longer how am I going to spend my money, but it's how am I going to spend God's money? How am I going to spend my master's money? Because that's whose it is in the first place. And what I love about God and, and knowing this, that it's all God's money, is that he is saying, be generous with it. Bless others with it. As I have blessed you, bless others with it. God says, be a giver. God is a giver. For, uh, John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he what? He, he gave. He is a giving God. He's a loving God. Now, I know that extends beyond just finances, and I hope so. I hope it extends to your time. I hope it extends to your abilities. I hope it extends to your worship. 
Every Sunday morning when you show up here, I am humbled that there are this many people who are saying, God, we value you. We place you a top priority on this day at this time. You realize how much in our culture is competing for your time to be right here right now? Different age groups might find this in different ways, but now many people have to work on Sunday mornings, or you have choices about, you know, sporting, sporting events, or recreation type activities that you get into, and that you choose that's in competition with what you do right here, but your worship here says, God, you are important, we make this a priority, and, and for those of you who are also getting into community groups and making that a priority, for those of you who minister and serve and make that a priority, you are saying, God, we are given to you first and foremost. There are people who get on the grounds at 6.30 in the morning, not paid staff, but they begin to pray over the Welcome Center. We have a prayer meeting in there at 7 o'clock. They're ready to go. They're praying this place up. The band and, and others who are rehearsing and pre- preparing for the 8 o'clock service. I mean, there are people here from, from, from early in the morning to the last one leaves in the afternoon who are saying, God, you deserve my time. You deserve my abilities. You deserve my ministry. I give that to you. God also deserves our finances in that same way. Now, I know that many of you, don't have a lot, or you say 2013 might have been a tough year for me. You know what? The principle is still, though, it's not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice. It's not about how much I give. It's of God. This is rightfully yours, and so I'm going to give it first and foremost, no matter how big it is or no matter how small it is, to learn that principle. In fact, parents and, and grandparents in here, Teach your children and your grandchildren to give when it's small because it is so much easier for them to put a penny in the offering plate or a dime in the offering plate or a dollar than when they get older and now they're starting to write out 100 or 1,000 or even $10,000 gifts. So much easier to begin when you're little to learn that principle that if I get 10 cents, a penny is the Lord's. If I get, if I get a, a dollar, 10 cents is the Lord's. And we'll talk more specifically about that. It does not have to be exactly that, but teach them to tithe. And I would encourage all of you, begin even with a little amount that you have. Are you thanking? Are you, are you thanking the Lord for what you have? And are you thinking in your heart and your minds, God, you own all of this. I am simply taking care of this for you. That means being a steward. So here's the question that I put in that second point. Do we view how we spend money as a spiritual decision. Think about that. Have you thought about that spiritually? This is a spiritual decision, how this money and where this money goes. Here's your action step. This week, think of how you spend money and try to see every purchase as being a steward of God's resources. He's the one who gave it to you. He could take it away. He's not going to pry it out of your hand. He wants you to be open to sharing that. It's a spiritual decision how you treat your finances. And and let me just be clear about this before I get on to the last point. Let, Let me just be very honest about this. God doesn't need your money. Doesn't he already own it all? He owns everything. He doesn't need your money. He just knows that you will be a lot happier if you don't hoard it. The happier people in life are the ones who are givers, the ones who bless others, not hoard it and take it in. In fact, um, I don't know how many of you have seen the show on, um, I don't forget what channel it's on, but Hoarders. Have any of you seen that show? Oh my gosh, that, that, that show causes my skin to crawl. I mean, they, they go into people's homes whose family members have said, hey, I think my mom or my grandmother or whatever has an issue with this. And they go into those homes and they see all the stuff 
stuff that people hoard and try and hold on to and take in somewhere in there psychologically it goes it goes haywire when we try to acquire and we keep and we keep and we keep i think god knows that and god comes at this and says don't live that way bless bless others be a giving god or be a giving person because i'm a giving god in fact matthew 6 21 what it says there it says for where your treasure is there your heart will be also what do you treasure what do you value that's where your heart's going to be it's a clear indication of it and so the last thing that i wrote down to remember about money and finances is that it's a test of our heart that's truly what it is it is a test of our heart in fact, if you were to go to your checkbook and to your visa bills and to your receipts right now, you could tell what you value most in your life. End of the year, I always do our budget of how we did in the year uh, previous and go through and just kind of track that and look at that and compare that. If you were to do that, you could see what you value by what you spent your money on, by what you spent your time doing. What do you value? And if you want to go just specifically to this financial issue, I have a feeling that some of us, if we did a real gut check and evaluating if we're good stewards, we might be failing the money test of giving accountability to God and saying, God, I've, I've blessed other people with this. I've given some of this away. I've given it to you. I've given it to your work as well. How you spend your money is a clear indication of where your heart is. That's what this verse says. Jesus said those words. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And perhaps, just perhaps, Jesus and the Bible talk about money so much because it is that clearest indication of where our hearts truly are. So let me get a little bit more personal on you. I would say if you are spending more on your cell phone and your data plan every month than you're giving to God God doesn't truly have your heart. I would say if you are spending more on your cable or your satellite bill than what you're giving to God, God doesn't truly have your heart. If you are spending more on your club memberships, I'm going to get physically fit, I'm going to do it in Shape City or whatever that costs you. If you're spending more over there on a monthly basis than you are giving to God on a monthly basis, I question whether God truly has your heart. In fact, if you are spending more even on your car payments than you are spending giving to the Lord, you got to wonder, does God truly have your heart? You know, this is where not a fan kind of hits the road right here. You remember who the poster child of not a fan was? It was the rich young ruler, wasn't it? The rich young ruler heard Jesus knew he didn't have his heart because he had so many possessions And when Jesus said, go and sell them and then come and follow me, what did he do? He turned and he walked away. I mean, this is the clearest indication we can have. For some of you, with those items I just mentioned, you could combine them. And if you're not giving more to the Lord, I question whether he really has your heart. Now, not for everyone, but for some of you, you could combine those. Because, you know, those are, um, many of them are luxuries. I mean, you have to have a car, yes, to survive here, but you don't have to have the 
400 $500 car payment car. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. Not at all. Those things are good, and you can enjoy those, and God has blessed us with some of those amenities and cable TV, club memberships, whatever else you want to spend on. But if you're giving more to those cultural luxuries than to God and his work, then the culture and your comfort and the selfishness that we live in has your heart more than God does. I think that's black and white. I think scripture would back that up. Now, I know I just walked all over some of your toes. Yeah. So you might be saying, well, what what do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what we can do. I believe we can begin with saying, okay, God, I need to give more away. I need to give more to you. And so I would just throw out there that a measuring stick could be the 10% that we have often talked about here at First Baptist. The Old Testament commanded the tithe. Leviticus 27, 30 talks about that tithe that we have. In the New Testament, Jesus, I think, affirmed that tithe. I don't think he demanded it. In fact, what he did is he really expanded it. He said, yeah, you should do that, but then go to justice, go to mercy, go to faithfulness. You should have those things also should be important in your life. And so for years we've been teaching, it's a great measuring stick, but please, 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 please don't get caught up and be legalistic about it. For years, Pastor Jim has taught 10, 10, 80. I, I believe that. We live by that in our family. You, you, you give away 10%, you, you uh, save 10%, and then you live on the other 80%. Scripture, I think, talks about a tithe, but le- we don't have to get legalistic about it because really it's not just about the amount it's about your heart behind it. I mean, I said this last year. My wife and I, we're not tithers. We're more than tithers. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I'll be real honest about that. We, we know that God has blessed us in major ways. And so we, want, we don't want to be limited by a tithe. We want to give above and beyond that. We're also given to pay off the children's building that's over here. We've had that debt now. Some of you might not know that, but we have about a $3 million debt on this building right next door. Many of you are even giving over and above and paying, helping to pay that off. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're coming to a place where we probably need to address this more. Some of you might not have known that, but we would, we would love for you to partner with us in that as well because that has been such a blessing to many of your families, maybe even some of your grandchildren and such. That is so important. Fact is, it's not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice. That's what it is. It's about an opening up of the heart. And so if that's 1%, great. Start at 1%. If that's 3%, great. If that's 7%, great. If, for some of you, it would be over a 10% type of thing. Great, but if you want to use a measuring stick, I say use that 10%. Walk it with that. See what God does in your heart. Remember, God doesn't need your money. It only demonstrates that he has first place in your life. That's really what it is. It's an indicator of who's in first place with how you give. It's not that God wants it all from you. It's what God wants for you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to live not with a hoarder type of mentality, but a giving kind of mentality. In fact, I love this verse out of Deuteronomy 14, 23. 
It talks about how you should tithe all the yield of your seed that you may learn to fear the Lord your God. The version that I really like about this is one that says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first place in your heart. That's the true purpose behind giving to God and being generous. To remind you every time you give away to say, God, this was not mine in the first place. It's yours. God, this is mine. It just so happens that the more we hold on, the more we think it's ours. The more we give, the more we live a way that God wants to bless us. And the more we live in his goodness. That's just the way I think it is. That's the way it works. So let me end with a couple of questions or a question and an action statement. Question. Have you ever looked at how you think about and spend money as being a reflection of how much of our hearts God really has? Have you looked at that? Thought, if I go through and I track my expenses and see how much I've spent, that I can kind of know compared to how much I've given and given away, how much of my heart he has. So let me give you the action step. Ask God to take possession of this area of your life and heart if you haven't given this to him already. And again, I'm just talking specifically right here. I know a lot about finances, but really it goes into every area of our lives. Money can teach us such valuable lessons. My wife and I are privileged to get to give to a couple of kids overseas, and we chose to have some kids that were the exact ages and sexes as our children. And we want to, you know, we, we haven't talked about that a lot recently, but we want to use that kind of as a teaching moment. It reminds me of the story I heard about a family in the Bay Area who did the same thing with their kids. And uh, they actually got to go overseas and visit the children that they were supporting with their kids' finances, kind of how the way they wrote it up, that, that you know, instead of this going to you, we're going to give it to these kids overseas. And uh, they had a great time doing that and viewing those kids and seeing them and seeing how happy they were. And they were in a Christian organization, and so they both knew the Lord. And so that was really exciting. And, and the, the young man, uh, the boy of the family, got back into the car with his father and mother and sister. And the boy was kind of quiet, didn't talk a lot. And this was very unique for, for the boy because he's usually very talkative and such. And the father kind of looked in the rearview mirror at the son sitting in the back seat and said, son, are you, are you okay? Is everything all right back there? And the son just kind of sighed a little bit and said, yeah, yeah, I'm doing fine, Dad. I, I, I just got to thinking that there is nothing that um, I could have done without money that would have made me more happy than I am right now. I've seen how their family blessed someone else. How are you raising your family? How are you treating finances? The way the culture does it? Or the way God's word says to do it? I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, your 2014 will be so much happier, will be so much more blessed if you live as God says to live. Ask yourself those questions. Take those action steps. Let God prove himself to you.